Isaac Hennig for the first time, an individual Ivy League champion. Leah Thomas will capture the win in the 200-yard freestyle with a time of 143.12 seconds. A new pool record, a new meet record. A big weekend in Boston and it yielded history for Yale's Isaac Henning and Penn's Leah Thomas. Move over, June Eastwood. You now have company as trans student athletes who are also NCAA Division I conference champions. Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And it was a big weekend in sports this past weekend. Steph Curry, NBA All-Star Game MVP, Austin Sindrick won the Daytona 500. Ivy League Swim Championships produced a lot of history. We're going to get to that in a minute. And... Beijing 2022, the Winter Olympics in the record books. Team LGBTQ did pretty well. Four gold, three silver, two bronze, nine overall. And here is our roll call of excellence for the gold medalist. Sandra Nasland of Sweden got, got that gold in the ski cross. Congratulations. Team Canada, fifth Olympic gold in women's ice hockey. They defeated Team USA 3-2. Congrats are in order to Breon Jenner, Emily Clark, Aaron Ambrose, Melanie Doust, Jamie Lee Retray, Jill Saunier, and Micah Zandi Hart, members of Team LGBTQ and members of Team Canada. France's figure skating sensation Guillaume Cizerone and his partner Gabriela Papadakis took the ice dance gold. Now this was redemption for them. Four years ago in Pyeongchang, they got silver. Well, you got gold now. Congratulations. Irene Voost of the Netherlands in speed skating won the 1500 meter. Now, she also made a lot of history with this. She is the most decorated out LGBTQ Olympian of all time. And she's the third most decorated Winter Olympian ever as well. And her gold was the first for Team LGBTQ at these games. Among the silver medalists, Bruce Maud of Great Britain in curling, he and Team Great Britain took silver in a nail-biter match against Sweden. Alex Carpenter, ice hockey, United States, was a part of the silver medal team for Team USA. By the way, Team USA, even with the silver, pretty good streak. There's been seven Olympic ice hockey tournaments for women. Team USA has medaled in all of them. Among the bronze medalists, Brittany Bow, United States in speed skating at the bronze in the 1000. Irene Vust also taking home a bronze to go with that gold. Team Netherlands got the job done for a bronze in the team pursuit event. And Ranja Savalainen of Finland, that a two-way terror that I did a story on as a defenseman in hockey. Finland's ice hockey team. Savalainen played a big role, second consecutive women's bronze medal. They beat Russia 2-1 in the bronze medal game. Now, in the medal count, most golds, Team Norway in a walk. Most medals, Team Norway as well. And Team LGBTQ, they were 12th amongst, amongst all the countries in golds. They were 14th in total medals, but you know how we do. We just don't go by those tables. We got our own. The Carly Olympic Index. And in the index, Team LGBTQ was tied for 12th with France on 41 points. The overall standings, 
Norway on the strength of its 27 medals and 12 golds, 212 Carly points for the games. Russia was second on 118, China was third with 103, fourth was Germany at 95. Team USA, they were kind of in the teens in the first week. They came back strong in the second week. They have 77 Carly points, good enough for fifth. Sweden was sixth with 76. Austria and the Netherlands tied at 60 for seventh. Canada ended up ninth on 56 points. In 10th, Switzerland on 46 points. Japan was 11th on 42, and of course, Team LGBTQ in France tied for 12th at 41. Also an added win for Team LGBTQ. More medals than Orban's Hungary, Poland in their LGBTQ free zones, and Turf Island, also known as the United Kingdom. That's a win I'll take to the bank any day. Hashtag just saying. Hennig is still standing stroke for stroke. Thomas edging ahead there in lane five. Leah Thomas to the wall first at 47.63 seconds. Last weekend, Blodgett Pool, Cambridge, Massachusetts, Ivy League women's swimming and diving final. And yes, that happened. Two transgender student athletes, one race, one, two. Penn's Leah Thomas was first. Gail's Isaac Henning was second in the 100 free. And both had a nice little weekend. Hennig won the 50 free in a meet record, top of the podium, first of his career at Yale, and also was the anchor leg in a winning 400 medley relay. Now, Leah Thomas, swimmer of the meet, Ivy League champion in the 100-yard free, and in the 200-yard free, and in the 500-yard free, and was a part of Penn's winning 400 free relay. Oh, by the way, the first relay win for a Penn quartet at Ivy League championships ever. To both of you, fingers crossed, see you in Atlanta. NCAA championship selections come out February 28th. And in the case of Leah Thomas, a lot of it depends on what the NCAA does and what they rule. It's all down to paperwork and 10 nanomoles. And some people have some questions. Some reporters like Katie Barnes of ESPN put forth some very legitimate questions. And others are trying to sell the same old insulting ones. I wonder, why are so many still trying to prove that Leah's dishonest and a fraud or a, ooh, cheater, cheater. Certain people like John Lawn, the editor-in-chief of Swimming World magazine, who seems to get more reactionary and rather transphobic by the day, and others like Nancy Hogshead Maycar, the head of the Cisgender Women's Sports Policy Working Group. Now, the latest claim that both of them seem to buy is that quote-unquote, Leah is sandbagging in an effort to make it look good so that the NCAA lets her compete. Nancy Hogshead Maycar especially has been kind of beating this drum. And when she beats the drum like that, I'm just reminded of what Roger Pelkey Jr. said on the transporter room last week. Yeah, I met Nancy, and, and you know, the first place to start is Nancy's advocacy and work um, in the area of safe sport and protecting um, in particular female athletes uh, but really all athletes from from uh, sexual predators and sexual abuse 
um, is really notable. And so that's, you know, that's one reason I'm disappointed to find myself on the opposite side of, of her on, on this particular issue. Um, but the reality is um, it is never acceptable to ban or exclude an individual from participating in an area of society where they are perfectly legitimate and recognized to do so based on their physical characteristics. And if it isn't bad enough, you have John Lawn trying to find a way to see how can I belittle the accomplishment of Leah going to Atlanta to compete. Saying things as far as Leah would be taking away a special moment from someone if she won because it would be quote-unquote unfair. John, a question for you. Let's say Leah finishes second in one of her events. Is it unfair? Does it take away a special moment from her to be at the top of the podium? Or what if she finishes eighth? Are you going to say that it takes away a special moment from the person who won the B final and finished ninth? I mean, Leah Thomas can't win here. If she swims too fast, then people will say, oh, she's a man. She's a biological male. But if, she too, if she's too slow, she's sandbagging and cheating. You know, I'm a runner. Negative splits are kind of the holy grail. We like those. It means we're getting faster and stronger as the race goes longer. To the both of you. She can't be too fast and too slow at the same time. And that cheating thing, she's met every metric and every rule of NCAA regulations. What I'm saying to both of you and really to all of you who've got issues, seriously, pick a lane and drive in it. Now, one thing I also noticed Talking about Isaac Hennig here for a second. By the way, Isaac, you had a great meet, and I want to let you know something. You got an open invitation. You and Leah have open invitations to come in the transporter room. I want to beam you up, most likely after all this is over. Now, Isaac got a couple championships, and if you saw his joy, his unabashed joy of winning the 50 free, it was something to see. But don't get it twisted. He got some of the smoke, too. Some of the transphobia hit him. First, just a reminder to certain people like Fox Sports. I know you're trying to be disingenuous to sell your agenda, but Isaac Hennig is a transgender man. You know, Mac Beggs already called people out for they don't know the difference between the two. That's willful ignorance in that case. Just saying. But for the most part, there is something I noticed that from a lot of the transphobes. Yeah, you may have an issue with Isaac Henning, but check this. Very few of you misgender him the way that you go out of your way to misgender Leah Thomas. That just shows there's still a lot of misogyny up in this piece, along with the usual transphobia and femphobia. The takeaway from the Ivy League championship is the masks are off now. 
They are. Certain people are telling you who they are. Whether it's the head of a swimming magazine, the head of a lobby that claims to be about women's sports, or all sorts of people on social media. Your masks are off now. You're telling us who you are. We'll believe you. But there is something I want to tell all these people. Shaming does not constitute an argument. Understand that. Especially in the case of Leah Thomas. She's been shamed for being tall. She's been shamed for the way she looks. She's been misgendered and dead named, called everything but a child of God. Now being shamed, being called a cheater. And there's, of course, there's still the Daily Mail locker room panic that's going around. Which is repugnant. And, and John Lawn is shaming the fact that she's good. And just might go to Atlanta and just might win. And she should be ashamed for that. No. You know, I'm thinking about some things that Tony Reale, the host of ESPN's Around the Horn, said recently. And one thing about Tony is that Tony has been, he's been a person who's been a voice of reason in a lot of this. And has come up and just said, basically, there's a lot we don't know, but we can be respectful, we can be sporting, and we can try and listen and learn. And I respect Tony for that. In fact, the latest thing Tony said about this, I'm going to be posting underneath this um, podcast on Twitter. Because I think people need to hear what Mr. Reale has to say. But... Just a note to all the people. The shaming must stop. It has to. You know, our mothers said it best a long time ago. That if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I think that's very appropriate advice. And a note to... Any trans folks who are listening, if you happen to be in Atlanta around March 16th through 19th, consider getting a ticket and being in the natatorium to watch the NCAA Division I Championship. Bring friends and pack some trans flags. And when you see Isaac Hennig and when you see Leah Thomas and you see them swimming, fighting for that championship, wave those flags high. Wave them high enough so that the ESPN Plus cameras can pick them up. Let them know that you're there. Because it makes a difference. That's the Red Alert Claxon meaning. It's time to take a break, give love to the sponsors. But when we come back, I'll introduce you to somebody very special who did exactly what I just talked about. They were at the Ivy League Championships. They were there with pride. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us.
Now, welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay Webb. Before the break, I said that I'd like to see trans people and trans flags down in Atlanta cheering on Aaliyah Thomas, cheering on an Isaac Hennick. And our guest this week did that at the Ivy League Championships. And it's somebody I think that, hey, we need to know and need to celebrate. Alejandra Caraballo is the clinical instructor at Harvard's Law School's Cyber Law Clinic. Before that, she was staff attorney with the Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund and, and a staff attorney with the LGBTQ Law Project at the New York Legal Assistance Group. And Alejandra is preparing for some big stuff in the weeks ahead. Uh, she's going to be sitting in on some legal panels in regards to some of this anti-trans nonsense going on in the country. She's somebody who has stood up for the community in the courtrooms out there chasing justice. And this past weekend, she did exactly what I just suggested people do. She got a ticket, went to the Ivy League Championship, and took a trans flag with her, and waved it high as two trans student-athletes swam by. And we we're going to bring her in to give her impressions of what she saw and what this moment all means. I'm proud to beam up from the Harvard Law School, direct from Boston, Alejandro Caraballo. Welcome to the Transporter Room. Energize. Thank you, Carly. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Well, it's hey, great to have you here. Wait a minute, quick molecule check. We want to make sure that, because you know, sometimes, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, this whole transporter thing, sometimes doubles come through. We don't want the turf Alejandra coming through, <laughs> wreak, wreaking havoc on us. We just want to uh, be sure. The alternate dimension, Alejandra, that's, you know, the, the evil twin. You know, no, yeah. I think I'm fully, fully integrated here. No, the mirror universe, Alejandra, we don't want, we don't want her. We want you. And first, welcome to the transporter room. And I know you're taking a little bit of time from a busy schedule because you're about to wade into battle for justice in a couple days here. Yeah, well, I, 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 I'm spectating a bit. I, I want to give a little bit of credit to my, my um, friend and, and colleague, Tara Borelli, who will be arguing in this case, uh, Drew, Ad, uh, Drew Adams v. St. John's County School Board in the 11th Circuit. Um, if you haven't heard about this case, you've likely heard about the Gavin Grimm case. It's very similar. Um, it's about a trans kid, uh, trans uh, man, uh, Drew Adams. At, at this point, it's gone on. The case has gone on so long. It's no longer a trans boy. It's a trans man. Uh, but, you know, he just wanted to use the, the bathroom like any other boy. And St. John's County, Florida, they tried to bar him. Lamb's illegal sued. Uh, it's been now in the courts for going on five years. Now you're explaining before we went on before we went on into the interview why the change in the format for this particular trial and for these particular arguments. Yeah, so this is really I think a perfect example of of the results of Trump stacking the judiciary. Um, so you know, just to get into some inside baseball on on how these circuit courts work, um, you go. You know, you have your district court, which is your lowest level court. You either win or, or lose. And in this case, Drew won. And 
It, uh, so then the, the school board appealed to the 11th Circuit. And when the 11th Circuit or any circuit court typically weighs in, it's usually a randomly selected panel of three judges from any of the judges on the circuit court. Well, the oral arguments in that case at the panel decision was in December of 2019. The decision was issued in August of 2020 post Bostock um, and Drew Adams won in that case as well. Unfortunately, the case was so stacked with, um, uh, or I mean, the, the 11th Circuit is so stacked with Trump appointed just uh, judges that uh, one of the judges, I believe the chief judge, um, William Pryor, I, I'm not entirely sure, circulated on bonk petition. And so what on bonk means is when you lose your panel decision, you can appeal to the entirety of the circuit court, which is anywhere from 10 to 15 judges, depending on the size of the circuit court. Um, and you can ask them to overturn the panel decision. Uh, and so in, I believe in September of this, this past year, they granted the en banc petition and vacated um, the underlying panel decision, which had already been vacated once by the panel trying to stop the en banc decision. Um, and so unfortunately, that was not enough to placate their colleagues. And, and most of the, the conservative judges look like they're trying to aim to curtail or limit uh, trans rights. And so this is a, a very critical case because, um, you know, th this creates what's called a circuit split. It's where two circuit courts uh, can have a disagreement. And that's usually one of the quickest ways to get to the Supreme Court. And if this um, case says that Drew Adams doesn't have a right to use the bathroom in accordance with gender identity, it could create a circuit split with the Fourth Circuit, which was the Gavin Grimm case, and so we, we could end up before the Supreme Court, and I don't know about you, but I am not optimistic about this court being, you know, saying anything good about trans people. What was it like for you? Because you went, you told me you went Friday night to the Friday night session. Friday. Take me so, through. Take me through Alejandra's night at the swimming championships. Yeah. So you know, as, as you mentioned, like I, I work at Harvard Law School, so I have access as faculty to um, uh, the pools. Like I, I used to swim in high school, so I have a, an interest in the sport, and um, I've been using it to, to get back into shape. I've been going to the the pool at the Mac, and uh, you know, just using it to exercise and. So like I've had, you know, some increased interest and then, you know, I've been, been seeing this, this whole, um, just, I mean, I, I don't, I've never seen anything like it where one person has just been so targeted by media in just a nonstop relentless fashion for months, especially somebody who was a not basically anonymous before was just a college athlete at UPenn and like was just doing their thing. And then now it's like, you know, just a national story that just is constantly being picked up by, by as you mentioned, the Daily Phil and, and New York Post and, and Fox News. So, you know, I've been seeing just this rampant transphobia, this just hate campaign going on for months. And originally I had seen that there was a meet at Harvard in January. I had wanted to go, but unfortunately due to Omicron restrictions, it was only limited to the family of and, and close friends of the athletes themselves like faculty couldn't get in um and so um i was unable to go to that meet and then i saw that oh the championships are going to be here at harvard let me go ahead and see if i can get in and it was available to the public i didn't you know have any special access as faculty at, at harvard to be able to to um 
uh, get in and see. But one of the things that kind of struck me as I was walking in was they had police outside and like, you know, maybe bigger sporting events, they just have police in case people get rowdy or something like that. And I hadn't been to an Ivy League meet, so I can't say that this is out of the ordinary, but it just felt, oh, well, they're, they're concerned that something may happen. Well, you know? one note's what I was at the Penn Harvard dual meet. I covered the Penn Harvard dual meet for Outsports, and there was police there. Yeah. There was a, and there was a, a larger police presence than I thought you'd see for really a dual meet, because usually dual meets get you know, maybe some family, maybe some friends. I mean, this was a large crowd, even for a dual meet, even under COVID. There just yeah. seemed to be a little bit more there that day. So I know, I know what you're saying, but for a championship, I'll bet there was a lot of security. Yeah. And then, the, you know, they're, they're checking our bags. Like I was like this, you know, I don't know. Again, I can't speak to if that's a typical practice across all the board, but it just feels like, you know, this is, they are concerned and it, it tracks with the fact that university of Pennsylvania had to hire private security for the swim team. Now that night session, I mean, right out of the, you had Leah 200 yard freestyle. Yeah. So uh, in the order of the events, it was Isaac went first. I mean, they don't compete in every, every uh, event. There's several events going on. And the first one that, that I saw was Isaac. Um, I mean, I was there when they were warming up, so I got to see, like, you know, the, and I barely saw Leah. And, and, like, here's the thing that I think also the media also just kind of distorts in a way with, like, the close-up pictures of Leah and the way they, like, constantly use pictures of her from years ago or just a single picture from her professional without page. No, without her consent. Yeah. Let, exactly. let, let's make sure we call that. Yeah, exactly. And... um when I was like looking to like trying to find her in the crowd or like among all the swimmers, you couldn't really pick her out. Like she just looked like every other swimmer. Um, and I, I say this as a trans person who I'm like, most of the time I, I know when someone else is trans, like it just, it's just, you know, people have gaydar and then, you know, a lot of times <laughs> people just know when someone else is usually trans and like, I, I couldn't pick her out until like I saw what lane she was in and then I could see the board and that's where she was. Cause she, she looked so similar. And like a lot of the other athletes that she was competing against, like also had very similar body shapes, like very broad shoulders and like narrow hips. And it just, I think it just kind of shows that that's the, the events that she competes in are just the ones that are tailored to that type of body shape regardless. And it doesn't matter, you know, what your sex is or, or your, or your sex assigned at birth. Um, but you know, when I was seeing Isaac there, like Isaac had full support of his teammates, like was just, I mean, I can just see he was laughing, was having a good time, like was just, you know, chilling. And I think at one point he waved at me because I had the giant pride flag. And, um, you know, he's just a lot of trans joy. And that's what I, I really enjoyed seeing about Isaac. Unfortunately, where I was seated, I think like the Harvard team was kind of under the alcove. So I couldn't really see where they were stationed. So I couldn't see their interactions with, with Leah, or sorry, not Harvard, uh, Penn. Um, and so I didn't really get to, to necessarily see like all the interactions with the Penn team, but I could where Yale was because they were much further out on the deck. Um, and so Isaac went first on the 200 butterfly, which just as an aside, butterfly is a stroke for, uh, for, for masochists. Like it's, 
I, I swam in high school and that was my most hated stroke. Like every time I did it, it like literally felt like I wanted to die. It was like, it was just, you know, uh, so props to any swimmer who can do it and do it competitively. Like that is an achievement all its own. Um, but, you know, Isaac did the the 200 butterfly. And I think, like, you know, Isaac is just very much a freestyle swimmer. Um, he's very good at, at butterfly. He, he was in the top heat for butterfly and he, he placed third um, uh, in the, the butterfly. And then the next one was the 200 free, uh, which is the one that Leah competed in. Um, and that one is a, a bit, it's kind of like the 800 meter dash, right? It's, it's in the equivalency because mm-hmm. it's, you know, you're, you're not doing a quick sprint. You have to save a lot of reserves because otherwise you're going to tire out. And so it's, a, it's much more in that middle lane where it's like, it's actually one of the hardest, like I was a sprinter. So I very much, when I was in high school, I did the 50 meter and occasionally the hundred meter when we maybe were short a swimmer, but that was just, you know, beyond what I could necessarily do. But like, and then, you know, you have like the thousand meter, like those are just purely endurance. And, but this, there's that like middle, you know, the 400 meter, 800 meter where it's like, it, it, it's, uh, you know, it's, or the equivalent is like the 400 meter dash or the 800 meter dash. It's, it's just like, it's this mix of like endurance plus sprinting. That is like, it, it, it it's like one of the most brutal um, uh, versions of, of the swim uh, events. And so, you know, she was pretty much neck and neck, I would say for the first half, like for the first hundred yards, like it was pretty even among all the swimmers. Um, she pulled out a little ahead. And, um, you know, one of the, when I was talking with my friend who, who swam for, for MIT um, in college, like, you know, one of the criticisms is now like, oh, she didn't, you know, they, they criticize her when she wins. And then even when she wins, they're like, well, she could have won by more because she's obviously holding back and sandbagging. It's like, she, yeah. She, if she's not fast enough, then you're then you're critical. If she's too fast, then you're critical. I mean, there swimming, no swimming, the the all the transphobes in the turf. She, I said at Swimming World are saying that now, and yeah. the Daily Fail is picking that up, trying to find that she's sandbagging. And of course, you know, after all, she's a cheater, cheater, cheat, cheat. You know, there, yeah. there's that. Yeah, they're trying to harp on this thing about negative split times that she basically had an unheard of last 50. And I, I dug into some of Katie Ledecky's, like, times. And, like, she very much has some – like, it's not it's not supposed to be standard. Like, the, 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 the better strategy in swimming those kinds of races is to do, like, a, a pretty even split time across the board um, rather than, like – you know, uh, doing a very negative split time where your last split for the, the last 50 or the last 100 is, like, much faster than all the other ones. Um, but the, I, like, saw, like, plenty of split times from other collegiate athletes that were negative in that way, and they tried to make it like it was some aberration she was holding back. And the other thing they point to is, like, oh, look, her her legs aren't, like, kicking as hard. And, like, I was there, and I saw the other female athletes, and, like, their legs weren't kicking hard as either because you're saving your your stamina for for the last bit through an endurance race and longer races like that you don't use your legs as much you use more of your arms because it's less intense on your body aerobically and you're able to to save energy so that that kind of like criticism is just a bit ridiculous <laughs> like now, it's just uh, yeah. Hunter, in your mind how much are the anti-trans crowd, the ADF crowd, the the Fox News Outkick crowd, 
How much are they relying on the ignorance of the general public and the sporting public at large on swimming? Very much so. Um, I think like you can see it in the way they title some of these these articles, right? They're like, oh, they set a pool record. They set a meet record. And like people don't know what that necessarily means, right? They're like, oh, they set a pool record. Like, oh, and people might equate, they just see the word record and they think that it's like the fastest in the country or fastest in the world. Like they set some kind of world record. And it is so far from the case like even on the 200 that Leah won, she won and, and she set the pool meet record. She wouldn't even, with that time, she still wouldn't qualify for NCAA Division One um, Group A. Like meaning that like she still would get smoked by most of the other women in the rest of the, at the top levels in the NCAA. So they use that kind of sleight of hand where it's like, oh, they set a pool record. And it's like, if you went to a pool where no, you know, major, like the top, top swimmers have swam at, you could, you know, go and set a pool record at like the local community pool. Going back to that 200 though, what did it mean for you just as, as a trans person, take off all your accolades, what you've done just as Alejandra trans woman living her life. What did it mean for you to see Leah Thomas not only compete, but when? Yeah, I mean, for me, it just, it shows that like trans people can thrive, that they can continue being who they are and still do what they, you know, and still compete and be affirmed in their gender and just, you know, thrive and succeed. Like, you know, so much of the obsession has just been like, you know, if, if she wins, like, you know, it's just so, it's just been so negative. And for me, I guess a trans person to see someone succeeding and, and between her and Isaac, it's, it's, it's just been amazing. Like to see like trans people thriving and doing well and winning. Did anyone come up to you at the meet because uh, you had the flag? Afterwards, when I went to leave, I think most people didn't want to, you know, try and get into the stands when I was there, but when I was leaving, I did. I had uh, one mother who, thanked me for, for showing up and, and having the, the pride flag. I don't know what, what team she was supporting, but because um, there, there was, you know, all the eight Ivy schools have like their little sections with all the different schools. And I ended up sitting kind of just in the back behind Dartmouth where, and right next to where Yale was. Um, uh, and so, you know, I was pretty far from Harvard. I didn't know when I went to sit down. I was just, just trying to find open seats because it's first come first serve. And, uh, but I had a mother come up to me and ask, and, and she took a picture. And then afterwards I had um, a photographer. I, I can't remember from what um, journalist uh, uh, group it was, but then I did have an interview. I, I had an interview request with WGBH, which is the public radio station, the NPR station here in Boston. And then uh, reporter Billy Witz from the New York Times who covers NCAA for, for the New York Times. Um, and I interviewed with both. How did those interviews go? Um, good. With WGBH, is pretty pretty straightforward. Um, they were asking like how I felt, like if you know if I noticed anything about the meet, and I was just like, look, I'm just here to support like trans athletes because everything's just been so overwhelmingly negative. Um, the interview with Billy Witz was the, probably the longest one that I did. It, I think it like stretched almost 20 minutes. Um, at least was what it felt like. Uh, you know, and I think one of the things that like, 
he didn't really say kind of hinted at one of the things that really struck me was like when he when he was talking about it like he mentioned um an article that had come out this week by azine he was hinting at from my understanding is like with the, the pushback that azine had gotten but i think when i also googled him after the fact like there were articles written about his reporting on this and um basically anything seen as like not even like anything that's not negative and bashing Leah Thomas is immediately seen as like a non-starter for anti-trans folks. And they are vicious. Like there was articles written about Billy Witz's article. There was an entire Twitter social media, like frenzy on a zine and her article and on her tweet promoting the article and other news organizations like Fox news and others wrote articles about Azine. And her, you know, and this is a woman that had like a degree in, I, I believe, um, it was in bio, uh, bioengineering. Um, I can't, can't remember. I just know she has a hard science background. Um, you know, and, and they're bashing her, saying she doesn't know anything. Da, 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 da. And it was like the most vicious thing. And these are cis folks who are just even daring report on the issue. Um, and that was one of the things that kind of just I kept hammering was just like how vicious this is. And like, Penn had to hire security. I mean, like, look at what the Daily Mail has been doing. The, the Daily Mail was sending a reporter to sit in the bushes in Florida to take pictures surreptitiously of college-age women in bathing suits. Pervs. And, yes, in any other context, that would have just been creepy, perverted, and sick. But because they're doing it to go after trans bodies, somehow... Like that's okay, and like this, no, it's fucking creepy and it's sick. And Thank like, you. That is how they're they're, you know, that's their mo. Like they're so they're they're constantly trying to expose and and put trans bodies out there like we're some kind of carnival act, like something to just be mocked and ridiculed. And it's like it's just it's gross what they're doing and. You know, and that's what they're doing with trans people and, and the cis people who even report on this. Like, it's just immediately on Twitter, the transphobic backlash, um, even against cis people who report on, on these issues. Um, and then just like, you know, any and all, like, I, th there's that that meme I, I, I saw. It's just like, where it's like two women, like, standing in an empty, like, like a parking lot or something. There's like bushes and stuff. And and it's just like empty and the girl you know the girl turns over and is like watch this and like the original meme format was like joe rogan sucks and it's like people like a bunch of white men jump out of the bushes <laughs> because it's like you know even though it was empty yeah. so like but like i feel it's like the same thing if you say leah thomas like watch this leah thomas and then all of a sudden like if i mention you know i've i've been on twitter for 11 years like i've been starting to get a, a decent following recently over the last two years and um you know, there's sometimes I just tweet things and, you know, I get a lot of people like, you know, liking it, retweeting, commenting occasionally, you know, and, and stuff like that. You mentioned Leah Thomas, you'll have like four or five people in your mentions being like saying the most transphobic, heinous stuff. And it's like, what, how much time do you have? Like, how much time do you have to sit there searching up Leah Thomas's name? Because that's how they're finding my tweet. There's no other way you're finding that tweet. otherwise. Because you're not following me, you have nobody in common, you have no mutual followers, nothing, and you're finding my tweet and then coming in my mentions, being like, you're saying the most transphobic stuff, and I'm like, 
How like really? Do you have no nothing else to do? You have absolutely no life to sit around just harassing anyone who brings up Leah Thomas's name. And like that's just me writing that name on Twitter. Like one of the things that I was mentioning to to Billy on the interview that I did was like, you know, I I can't prove it because the you know the schools have been trying to protect their students in any way they can. They they barred media interviews around this issue because. Like, it's just anything they say can be twisted and turned and all of a sudden, like, the, the stakes are so high. One statement, if any of these athletes come out, I mean, already one was wearing a trans pride flag mask and already her name was plastered everywhere as being supportive. And, like, on turf sites, they were calling her a handmaiden and, like, traitor and, like, all mm-hmm. this stuff. And, like, you know, she might now be doxxed and, and get... Um, harassment just for even daring to wear a trans pride flag. And like, that's part of the reason like these schools are, are, are protecting their students and not allowing media interviews because they know like even any amount of support will get twisted and turned, you know, by these folks. And so one of the things I was like saying is like, I can't prove it, but given the fact that Penn had to hire private security, like I wouldn't be surprised if like Leah's been getting death threats and nonstop harassment and not just her, her family. Um, and it's, it worries me. I literally cannot imagine the amount of abuse and harassment that Leah is receiving, not just like, you know, her social media is like, I, I don't even think she has a Twitter. I don't, I haven't even tried to look for her social media because I imagine it's, 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 it, the, it's battened down at this point, but like these people will go through and find her family's address and they'll find like all this stuff and they will send death threats. I mean, ask anybody who's been featured on Tucker Carlson, like what happens um, and it, it's stochastic terrorism. They know that they'll raise the temperature and that some people will act out on it. One of the things when I was talking with Billy Wits is I, I, I broke down in tears because I was like, I, I'm fucking concerned for, for Leah. Like, I honestly can't imagine that I'm a fairly visible public trans person. Like, I'm an attorney, worked in trans rights for years. Like, I've you know, represented uh, in my past, my past, uh, uh, jobs like I represented trafficking survivors, like people who've been through horrendous abuse. Like I've I've heard and seen it all. I've been at the receiving end of a lot of hate. And like just in the last few weeks, like the stuff I've gotten on Twitter is like it it fucks with me. And that's a microscopic fraction of what Leah has been getting over the last three months. And I am like I'm seriously concerned for her health and well-being. And I feel like you know, the school can try and do as much as they can to protect her. And I am sure they're not going to publicize the, the measures that they're taking to protect her safety, but it's worrying for me. Like, and I, you know, I almost, like, I, I don't know if anyone can truly know what it's like to be at the receiving end of this kind of a, a hate driven media campaign and, and just try to live your life. I mean, see, that's the thing people don't understand is that when you are in the public eye like that and you're trans, it's a different deal. Some people think it's like open season to take a shot at you. I want to throw a name at you. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's in your profession. Somebody who's a lawyer like you. Nancy Hogshead Maycar. Your thoughts? Yeah, she is... Like she's, I think it comes from this idea that you can compromise civil rights, um, that it's just, you know, and that she knows what's best for trans athletes. 
I, so I think you know, at the very extreme, you have people that just want to ban all trans athletes like from competing at all. And so she co- tries to come off like the moderate approach and say like, well, we can allow it, but we can create all of these like barriers and like all of these, like, you know, things to make sure that the competition, and I think most of what she says is like, well, if the concern is about camaraderie and like teamwork, well, we can allow them to compete, but they can swim on a ninth lane. That's against the clock. Like their times don't matter. They're just there for, you know, like exhibition, right? Um, And I think that's like some of the stuff that she's been trying to push. And it's like no team, like the minute you do that, nobody is ever going to have a trans athlete on their team. They're not going to pay for the travel. They're not going to get a scholarship for exhibition swimming. So already you're at a starting point where you're saying trans people aren't going to get college scholarships. They aren't going to get um, any chance to compete. No team is ever going to take a chance or or, 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 or go for them. Um, and, and also not to mention, you know, some of the, the, the U.S. swimming standards now, like 36 months T suppression um, that they're trying to implement. Like with, and that applies all the way down to 13 years old, right? So, you know, somebody who's never even gone through puberty is not. Honestly, having... I think that's the biggest mess ever. And yeah, you, might as well just, you might as well just say, we don't want any trans people swimming with exactly. that type. That's draconian. A good young swimmer who came out in high school has gone through, has been going through HRT since high school. And she is she swims in USA swimming competition and then get and then get say a full ride to say UCLA or Stanford they're Pac-12 good you're going to tell that kid all of a sudden they can't compete yeah yeah I mean the situation that I, I also think about I mean it's just you know um, is what if especially if they, they transition later, like, like Leah did, um, if somebody, what if somebody already had that, you know, they get, they get to the school in freshman year, they, they're like, they come out as trans. Are they going to like, and you have to have that three years, you know, they come out as trans women, they have to have three years of T suppression. Like, are they going to lose their scholarship? Are schools going to step up and say, if someone transitions at school and they're unable to compete, they're not going to lose their scholarships. I, I don't see them, you know, necessarily standing up and saying that, you know, especially if the NCAA has its own standards and then, you know, e- each individual sporting body sets its own. It's like powerlift, USA powerlifting came out with one that said like no trans athletes at all, no trans men, no trans women, none. It has nothing. It's so the, the, the band that they came up with was so harsh it would ban anyone with diabetes, any woman taking birth control, anyone with a thyroid issue, um, because they basically wanted to ban any hormone use at all. And I've, I've taught, had the chance to talk to a couple people about that. That's where the that's part of where the J.C. Cooper lawsuit is coming from, in Minnesota, and also uh, talked to Angel Flores a couple weeks ago about that as well. That is another example. But then again, that's USA powerlifting, and well, they're no that's why they're no longer the national governing body for the sport in this country. That's recognized by the international governing body for the sport. 
Yeah, it's insane. And, you know, I mean, the, the rates of, I mean, the fact that even women on birth control cannot <laughs> lift. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, and you know, th- basically you're asking them to be celibate because you're asking women that are in their 20s, like, may have a partner. And it's like, they no longer can, you know, they, like, their whole life can be derailed by a pregnancy. And, and it, the whole thing is just insane. But I think it, it just goes to show how much when whenever they crack down on trans people, there is just be, by virtue of like trans people making one to two percent of the total population, you're going to end up hurting more cis people than you are trans people in your policies. Um, and not to mention the, the potential, like, and this is where, where the, um, they get themselves into trouble is because sex is not this neat little binary. It's not this thing that we're taught in like, third grade that's like oh you're male or female it's like no there are it's more of a bimodal distribution of of separate traits um because there are people with xy that are cis women they were born with with the reproductive anatomy of of a female and um you know and and that's who they are but they have xy chromosomes or they have xy mosaic they have uh, genetic mosaicism they have xy chromosomes and xx chromosomes throughout their body in different cells there's Swire syndrome, there's Turner syndrome. There's like all of these different um, uh, differences of sexual development that make it messy. It's not this easy little thing to categorize people. Um, and so when you start doing it, I mean, one of the things that Azine's article was really great about was like showing how this was hurting cis women for years. Like in the 60s, they didn't realize that women could have XY chromosomes and be cis women and actually even re- reproduce as well, like as women because of, of a variety of different differences of sexual development. And so they disqualified people from sporting in the sixties because they had a Y chromosome or they had genetic mosaicism. Um, and they didn't realize that. And once they realized that, Oh no, this is a test that's like excluding far too many people that are, would otherwise qualify. They moved to like the hormonal tests around testosterone um, but even then that's raised issues where women with PCOS have testosterone levels that are far above what is typical for a cis woman and it gives them a you know it, they says the, the, the allegations are it gives them an unfair advantage which is not necessarily wholly true because there, there's not actually a full correlation between testosterone levels and performance um, there's just so many other factors that it is in varies by sports. It's, it's actually <laughs> extremely complicated. Um, but like you end up having cis women's bodies policed for being too masculine. And that's always been the issue that we have like, you know, uh, Semenya Castor who was like barred from the Olympics for, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Like, the collateral damage will always be people with differences of sexual development and cis people who just come up, cis women in particular, who are just too masculine in any way that they try to measure. I want to switch gears a little bit because yeah. I know you're about to head in. You're about to head into more of this in the week ahead, in, in these days to come. But what are some things, where do you find your trans joy? I would just say like in the wonderful community and friends that I have um, like you know one of the things that I always 
loved when I came out was was just having this sense of people that would support me no matter what and would have my back and help me if I ever needed it. Like the trans community, like we, we've been ostracized and marginalized for so long. They're like the, the common thread among us is mutual aid. Like we help our own, um, whether that's just being supportive or just reaching out or, you know, whether that means like sharing your hormones with someone who doesn't have access to healthcare or, um, or just like, you know, helping sending a hundred dollars their way so that they can make rent. Like, all of those things, like the, the things I've seen in the trans community and the way that like we support each other, it's just a beautiful thing, um, you know, that we, and we have that common, um, just that common thing that just unites us all. And, and we have this kind of similar experience. And I think that's one of the things, like it's my friends, my chosen family, um, you know, that, that like really bring me joy and just being around trans people. I had the privilege of working at Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund for two years. And it's a staff that's trans-led, majority trans. And I can't tell you how wonderful it is to work in a place where the majority of your coworkers get you in a way that like other people don't. There are things that just don't need to be said because they they're already there. They understand. And that was an experience I wish every trans person could at least have in their once in their life, like just being surrounded by other trans people so that they, they know like, like there's just this deeper sense of understanding. And, and when you come from a community that's so marginalized and, and it's just such a small proportion of the, the population, it's very rare for us to be surrounded by, you know, people that share that, 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 um, uh, that, common trait or just that experience, right? That lived experience. And so, um, you know, that, that's been my, my, my like real source of joy. And I think just seeing, you know, I, I was like, as bad as it is, and I wish it didn't have to happen. Like I track a lot of these anti-LGBTQ bills and particularly anti-trans bills. And like, it shouldn't have to happen in terms of like the trans kids coming out to testify it's kind of heartbreaking in some ways that like 13 14 year old trans kids are having to go to their state legislature to tell them don't ban my health care i've called it lip syncing for their lives in a lot of ways because yeah. that's what it is exactly but on the same side like i'm seeing these trans kids are able to live their lives like even if, even if they're under attack like i don't want to minimize that but that they're supported and the families that I've seen come out and like, especially some of the family members who like they, they even say it themselves are like, I didn't know any trans people. I didn't even know what this was, but I listened to my kid and I followed what they, you know, what they were telling me. And I got my kid back after I helped, after they started transitioning and we got the help that they needed. And like seeing those stories of like kids thriving in a way that like, 20 years ago, I can't imagine, like, if I had tried to come out when I was 12 or 13 in Florida in, like, 2000 in Florida, you know, like, how my parents were to handle it. My parents are very supportive now. Like, I, I will say, like, they've always been very supportive. And But, like, would that have been the case 20 years ago in Florida? I honestly don't know. And, how, you know, how things would have handled. So as, as much as, like, things sometimes seem dire, 
I think it's always helpful to take stock and realize like we've come a long way. Like we are still have made so much progress. And, you know, um, if you're, you know, it's always the cliche, but if you're going through hell, keep going. Um, and like that, that's it, right. We've taken 10 steps. Like we're taking maybe a step or two back because of the reactionary backlash, but we just got to keep pushing. We got to keep going. We can't stop fighting. Um, cause the next generation of trans kids need it. Like they, they, we need to show up for them, make sure they're supported because they're the most vulnerable among us. Come to the home stretch here. And one thing I do want to mention because it's very Jen Urso is that tattoo on your left arm. <laughs> the yeah. symbol of rebellion. Yep, there it is. So another Rebel Alliance person. I like you already. <laughs> and seeing that you're a Star Wars fan, number one, a lot of Star Wars content out right now. Yes. Not good Star Wars content out right yeah. now. Book of, Boba th Book of Boba Fett. Yay or nay? Yay. Yay. Um, it was a little bumpier than the Mandalorian in terms of quality. And I think, I don't think it, it was, some of the writing was a little slower. I, I, as I was saying, like before we, we started, I think like Robert Rodriguez needs to be kept away from the star Wars universe. <laughs> I think maybe there's some disagreement about the space Vespas, but it felt like, like that was important. Like that's his style. Like he did like shark girl and, and lava or lava boy and shark girl and, and, um, spy kids and like that bright vivid like neon color like that's his style but like and I don't think it's necessarily mutually exclusive with the Star Wars universe as a whole like if you have those scooters in like you know Coruscant it would I yeah no I could buy it that would make sense right you have like this techno planet that like has that but like Tatooine is this dirty western backwater like run downtown run by gangsters like to see something brand new like a shining like it just felt so jarring and out of place compared to everything else looking so beat down and run down and so um but bryce dallas howard did a fantastic job I, there's some people that complain it was too much fan service but i was like it's never too much fan service in the right way dave filoni john favreau are freaking geniuses they know exactly how to do fan service to this to the fans that have been there for years watching Clone Wars, watching Rebels, watching all the animated, even reading the comics, like Black Kersantan showing up. Um, like, you know, it, it's fan service in that way to finally see these like characters that have never seen the light of day in terms of, of live action, like actually brought to TV. Um, but still telling compelling good stories with them, right? Like it's not, you know, oh, we just brought this character. Like they're they're done in a way that's really, really well done. Like Ahsoka Tano, and um, you know, bringing Luke Skywalker back in a very reserved way. Like it's just all of those things. Like Yoda's lightsaber. I mean, I just have one episode. Spoilers. Like I, I would. It's been a few weeks. You should have seen it by now, but. Um, you know, turn turn it off if, if you don't want to hear Star Wars spoilers. But you know, seeing like just in the one episode, all the lore around Mandalore, um, when um, Din Djarin like goes back and like they talk about the the, the glassing of Man the planet of Mandalore, and then you in the same episode, like you see like the baby Yoda or Grogu's lightsaber um, that was like from Yoda. Uh, and then you, like there's just so much more R2D2 
even just the whole episode around um, the N1 Nebula Starfighter. Like, I, I was like eight years old in 1999 mm-hmm. watching episode one in theaters. Like, that just brought out like all that joy I remember seeing the Nav- and thinking how cool the Nabu Starfighter was and like seeing it in that way. Oh, I'm sorry. I just could gosh. No, because that's my next question. Because I asked this about every Star Wars, being a Star Wars fan. I ask it about every other Star Wars fan. If I led you into the ultimate showroom of Star Wars and said, you get a te- you get to test drive any vehicle from the Star Wars universe, you name it, I will give you the keys. What would you pick? Oh, that's putting me on the spot. Um, you know, I think... Um, I feel like this is so cliche, but I would take the X-Wing Starfighter. Like, ah, yes, like <laughs> finally, someone who is someone who's on my wavelength. Yeah, like I mean, there's so many cool ships. You also got like the Millennium Falcon. Like that's the the freighter. You've got the Slave One, which is um, a Boba ship. You've got like obviously the the. Um, uh, the Mandalorian ship, I, I'm forgetting the name of it. Um, and you have like all these different ones, the, the A-Wing, the Y-Wing, uh, the TIE Fighters, like all of those different, um, but like something just so, I don't know, like just thinking to the New Hope when you're just seeing them all fight and they're in the X-Wings, like it's just, it, oh. it's like coming into the cockpit of an F-16, like it's just... Yeah. And you picked my X-Wing, the original T-65. Yeah, I'm nerd like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am definitely nerd like that. I know model numbers and manufacturers, yes. But, no, I... Now, you see, here's what's wild. You're talking about eight years old, seeing, seeing, say, Phantom Menace. That was like, Phantom, that was like you know, episodes one, two, three. I saw Star Wars in 77. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I, I heard about yeah, 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 I am that old. I like saw a- Star Wars back in 77 into 78 when it was big. <laughs> wow. I, I remember I was seven when I saw Star Wars. Okay. And okay. it was so cool. No, just seeing the perspective, Battle of Yavin, the perspective was so cool. I was like, wow, I, I want one of those. Yeah, I'm that old. I'm I turned fifty one this year. Wow. Well, there's you know what they say is like <laughs> hormones like take like ten years off your age. Like I think it's twenty in your case, but Doesn't it? oh god. I mean, it's like I tell people, estrogen may not be performance enhancing, but it was life enhancing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With that in mind, though, last question, yes. because there's something actually. I got this is from your Twitter. Mm-hmm. Is from your Twitter because after all, right up front, first two words of your Twitter: "Why is Latina?" Yeah, you and you and Sonia Sotomayor will have, probably have to fight over that one. <laughs> but there is something you said that though that gives you why that definitely gives you wise Latina status, and it was a it was a tweet on February eighteenth because this this means a lot. This struck me when I read it. If we let hate rule our lives, they win. I refuse to let it dictate my life. I'm going to keep showing up for my trans siblings in whatever way I can, 
even if it's something as simple as holding a trans pride flag at a swim meet, I'll keep doing it. With that ethic in mind, what do we as trans people do in this moment? How do we use this event, what we saw with Isaac, with Leah, to help propel us forward into the other fights we face? Yeah, you know, I, I think the, the old cliched saying is like 90% of, of accomplishing something is showing up, right? Um, and I really think in so many ways, the people who hate us, the people who want us to disappear and erase our existence, they're showing up. They're at these meets. They're, you know, they're either the, through the media or on social media commenting about it. Let's make sure we actually are able to support our trans siblings. Let's, you know, again, like I said, just most of it is showing up, showing up, show up to, you know, if you, if you hear about a local trans athlete who's excelling, you know, and maybe they're not getting as much pushback because they're a trans man and, and the trans misogyny aspect isn't playing, like still show up, like show up with a tra trans pride flag. Like I guarantee you, like, as like, you know, as difficult as it is, like when you're you're going through so much hate, sometimes just seeing that flag is like, yeah, there are people there in my corner. They care about me. They wanna they want me to succeed. They they want me to excel. And like just even showing doing that simple little thing can be so meaningful and impactful. So I don't wanna like, you know, I, I you know, I'm I work on on trans issues as an activist. I previously litigated trans rights cases and I'm very connected with the community. But like I'm in a very, a very much a place of privilege to be able to do what I do and where I'm at. Um, and not everybody has that ability, right? People are struggling. They're working two jobs. They're having to do survival sex work just to to, to live and, and have a place to stay. So like you know everybody, it, you know you're at where you're at. But like any little tiny thing, it can mean the the difference to to someone else. And so any little act of kindness, if it's if you have extra clothes you don't wear. Like find your local charity that's working with uh, or a nonprofit that's working with trans folks. Like I guarantee you most of them have like community closets to help people who are early in transition get clothes that affirm their gender because they can't, you know, when you start transitioning, you don't have the money to necessarily go out and buy a whole wardrobe. Like donate some of your old clothes, you know, like it's something as small as like that. You never know. Somebody else may just find the perfect dress or the perfect suit. And like, just feel the best they've ever felt because somebody donated that. So like, it's the little things, those things matter so much more. Like, you know, I could be up here litigating cases and, and doing this and that. And, you know, the, the thing that has always struck me from this like old, old song um, I used to listen to by this, this like super group in the, the 2000s called the sound of animals fighting. It was like, is it, it was a question posed in like one of the things it's like, is it better to touch one person's life or to touch a thousand uh, people's lives. And it, you know, it's kind of a, it breaking it down in quantity versus quality. And at the end of the day, like always, you know, I, I felt even though I was working on cases that affected hundreds or even thousands of people's lives, I always felt most fulfilled when I was doing my direct legal service work and I was working with clients one-on-one. -on -one. And I could see the difference that my advocacy and my legal work made on individual clients. And you know, so if you can touch one person's life in any meaningful way, like do it, do it. And, and it just means showing up 
doing what you can, giving what you can. It, 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 you know, it's not asking the world of you. It's just, just showing up. Well, I know one thing you're going to be showing up this week in some courtrooms fighting that good fight. Yes. (laughs) And it's needed and it's appreciated. Alejandra Caraballo, thank you for being on the transporter room this week. And I'm going to let you know right now, we're going to want you back. Yes. And, and, And if you ever played and right behind you in that back wall, I see guitars. And so if you ever want to like give us a few riffs, we got room for that. I'm just saying. Oh, I'm happy to. I, I, I can shred. I was, I was very much uh, used to playing in metal bands in, in high school. So. Well, I'm going to tell you what. You know what? We got to work on a deal because I've always wanted to learn. We got yeah, we got to work right. a deal. That's we got to right. work a deal out. We got to work. We got to work something out on that. But hey, I'm going to beam you back down because you've got some work to do in the week ahead. Thank, thank you for being in the transporter room this week, Alejandra Caraballo, and thank all of you for being a part of the transporter room this week and every week. And if there's something you want to see or something you want to say about what we do, please leave me that message on our Twitter. Leave that message on our Facebook page and leave a message on our Instagram page, transporter room 10 forward. Remember everything I do here at the transporter room, I do for all of you, the people who support us. That's the transporter room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper and study as she goes. I'll catch you next week.